Okay, uh, chapter number three. So, uh, chapter number three, remember we're, we're uh, trying to answer these worldview questions. Um, who am I? Where do I come from? We've been talking about that all through Genesis 1 and 2. Who's in charge? We talked about authority quite a bit last, uh, uh, last time. Who, who has the authority to make rules? Who's sovereign here? Who's in charge here? Uh, how should I live my life and what happens when I die? And so today we're going to find out um, really the, the, the question, how should I live my life, the rules, um, it, uh, by extension you could say, um, what, uh, what's the nature of reality and, and how, is the, how, do I, how do I live in this world as I find it and why is the world the way it is? And so we're really going to talk in chapter 3 about why, why is the world the way it is? Why are the things that we see in the world as they are? Where did, that, where did all this stuff come from? Um, and we're going to talk about that uh, quite extensively in chapter 3. So we're going to spend three weeks going through chapter 3. Uh, today we'll do an overview in the fall of Satan and the tempting of Eve at the beginning of chapter 3. And then in the middle of chapter 3 next week we'll talk about the fall of Adam and Eve and um, this uh, essentially will go through God's court of inquiry uh, after Adam and Eve have sinned. Uh, and then we'll go through the pronouncement of judgment, uh, the first prophecy of uh, the Messiah, and then Adam and Eve expelled from the garden. So three weeks we're going to spend going through Genesis chapter 3. So first we'll do an overview. So if you take your Bible out, make sure you've got it open or a device open to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, I want to very quickly show the whole chapter, and then we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 5. So um, chapter 5 goes like this. The first uh, seven verses, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. 
and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's all of Genesis chapter 3, um, and we're going to really focus on the beginning part of that. But Genesis 3, as an overview, is one of the most vitally important chapters in all the Bible, and also one of the most tragic. Uh, it's the foundation for everything that comes after. And without the foundation of Genesis chapter 3, the rest of Scripture and the rest of life really would make no sense. What we see in the world makes no sense. It explains the condition of the universe and the state of humanity. It explains why the world has so many problems. It explains the human dilemma and why we need a savior. Uh, the truth revealed here in Genesis 3 is necessary for any, it's a necessary foundation for a true and accurate worldview. We can't possibly understand the world that we see without the background of this Genesis chapter 3. It explains how we got from a perfect paradise, a, a very good, perfect creation, to where we are today. Uh, every worldview that lacks this foundation is utterly and hopelessly wrong. There's no chance for our unbelieving friends, neighbors, family members, co-workers to understand the world without understanding Genesis chapter 3. And so we need to be able to, as followers of Christ, explain... Genesis chapter 3, to unbelieving friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors so that they can understand what's going on here. What, why is the world the way it is? Why, why, are there, why is there so much evil in the world? Why is, so, why is, everything, why is everything broken? Um, and what's this, then you can tell them what the solution is. Um, salvation in Christ Jesus. So, uh, when God cre cre finished the creation, of course, um, there was no disorder or chaos. There was no conflict or struggle. There was no pain or discord, no deterioration of death, no disease, pain, suffering. None of those things in God's perfect creation. Yet, when we look at the, around at the world today, what do we see? We see all those things. We see death and disease and pain and suffering all around us. Um, yesterday afternoon one of my neighbors suddenly died. Uh, he had a massive heart attack and died. He was not sick. I mean, he was not in the hospital. He, he was at home. He had a heart attack. He died yesterday afternoon. Um, and so that, this is the world that we live in. Uh, but that's not the world that God originally created. So why? Why? Why do we see all this around us? Um, so... Genesis chapter 3 is the answer to why we see all this around us. Um, and quite frankly, we find it hard to even imagine what a perfect world would have looked like. Uh, what does a world look like where there's no death and disease and pain and suffering? Um, that's, even, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because it's so contrary to what we see around us every day. But Genesis 3 explains how we got there, how we got from that paradise of unimaginable perfection to where we are today. Um, so, Scripture says that we were made in God's image, but are fallen creatures. Uh, we inherited our sinfulness from Adam. That's the doctrine of original sin. The Bible teaches that man began as the pinnacle of the created order, and because of Adam's sin, the history of humanity is the story of this disgraceful moral spiritual decline. Uh, and so we see that happening over and over again. When we get to Genesis chapter 6, you'll see that, uh, Genesis 6-5, uh, how evil and wicked the world had become in just a few generations from Adam. In Romans chapter 1, we get the description of what uh, um, fallen mankind looks like, uh, a whole description of uh, a whole giant laundry list of horrific sins that, that unbelievers um, uh, commit. Um, and, and the fact that uh, unbelievers suppress the truth in unrighteousness, a very interesting uh, way of saying it, that, that all of us, of course, every single one of us was born in sin and was a sinner, was saved by grace uh, through faith in Christ Jesus. And so everybody is born in this condition of 
sinfulness. Humanity today is worse than ever before. Second Timothy 3, uh, evil men go from uh, bad to worse. Um, and so how do we get in this state? Um, so if we look at other p- passages of Scripture, uh, where the, the Scripture in the New Testament explains this, um, so when Paul in the book of Romans is explaining salvation, of course he starts with the bad news. Um, and he explains in Genesis chapter 5 this idea, this doctrine of original sin. That when Adam sinned, he brought death and judgment, not only upon himself, but upon the whole human race. Uh, he says a similar thing in 1 Corinthians. And we'll take a look at those passages of Scripture. And so the bottom line for us and for everybody else, everybody we talk to, our friends, neighbors, coworkers, and family members, uh, nothing we can do for ourselves will free us from this bondage to sin. That's what the Scripture teaches, that we all inherit this sin nature from Adam, and there's nothing we can do ourselves to escape it. Um, that the only solution is salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. But it's important to be able to explain the condition and where the condition came from, I think, for people to understand, number one, the need for salvation, and then the means of salvation. But first, how did we get there? How did we get to be in bondage to sin? And so if we look at Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, 12 to 14, um, Paul explains, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. In other words, um, but um, the, the background here is that Adam sinned, and in Adam, all sins. In other words, we all inherit a sin nature. Now, we're eventually going to get to Satan's part in it. I, I promise we will. we're going to get there. Uh, but for now, I just want to go through this, this background of the fact that Adam sinned, we are all descendants of Adam, and therefore we all inherit Adam's original sin and sin, uh, uh, sin nature. Um, so yes, we'll get there. Hold, hold that thought and question for just a second. So in, in other words here, uh, we all inherit sin, and yes, there's, there's a law that is promulgated through Moses, but Paul's pointing out here that there were a whole bunch of generations of people between Adam and the time when Moses wrote down the law. And, and what Paul's pointing out here is all those people are guilty too. All those people had a sin nature even before Moses wrote down the law. So Paul's making that that clear uh, in this passage. So death reigned from Adam to Moses because everybody inherited Adam's sin nature. And and yes, people transgressed and committed sins um, against God's ways even before it had been written down and codified in the Mosaic law. Um, and then he says he's a type of him who was to come. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains that, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So there's a parallel drawn here in Scripture that we're all in bondage to sin because we're descendants of Adam. And then we can be set free from that bondage in Christ Jesus. Death in Adam, life in Christ Jesus. So that's the teaching of the scriptures about the fall, the consequences of the fall, and the remedy uh, from the fall. Now, let's get to Satan. So uh, we had this question about, uh, well, where does Satan come in here? Well, so the first thing we want to briefly discuss is Satan's fall. Um, so in three chapter. Chapter 3, verse 1, all of a sudden we have this sudden appearance, out of nowhere, of a crafty talking serpent. So where did he come from, and who is this crafty talking serpent? 
that makes an appearance in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we learn from other places in Scripture, comparing Scripture to Scripture, that this certain serpent was really Satan masquerading as an animal or possessing an animal in some way that's not thoroughly explained. Uh, Revelation 12, 9 and 2 Corinthians eleven three tell us that this, this serpent was Satan. Um, and so a couple of things. First of all, God did not make Satan evil, since everything God made was good. And evil did not exist in God's very good creation. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he's made, and it was very good. And so Satan is a created being. And since Satan is part of creation, and we know that creation was very good, that means that Satan was originally created good. So Satan's fall must have occurred sometime between the end of creation and the events described here in Genesis chapter 3. So... Creation, very good. Satan's part of creation, therefore Satan was still good. But sometimes before these events that we see here in the first uh, five uh, verses of chapter 3, Satan fell. Genesis doesn't say anything about it. Genesis maintains a focus on creation of the earth and on the relationship between God and man. And therefore Genesis is completely silent about the fall of Satan. Other scripture does mention, I believe, the fall of Satan. So, for example, Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 14, these are prophecies. And you have to be a little bit careful because the prophecies are about other things too. Uh, those prophecies are, especially Isaiah 14, it's, it's, it's about a pagan king. That If you look at Isaiah chapter 14, it's a prophecy about a pagan king. But there's a section in there that appears to be uh, a double meaning, and, and that also talks about the fall of Satan. And so we'll look at that Isaiah uh, passage. Um, so 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So uh, Paul refers to the serpent in the garden there in 2 Corinthians 11. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. That's Revelation chapter 12, referring to the serpent of old, and saying specifically that the serpent of old was Satan. And then Isaiah chapter 14, the passage I just mentioned, it's a, it's a prophecy about a pagan king. But there's this section in the middle of it that says, You have fallen from heaven. O star of the morning. The pagan king didn't fall from heaven. Uh, that sounds like a description of Satan. You have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. Son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. Um, most commentators believe that that little section in there is talking about Satan and the fall of Satan, even though it's embedded in a passage of Scripture that's also a prophecy about a pagan king. Okay, so uh, when we get to this fall of Satan, so the, this is my favorite passage about the fall of Satan. It's from Calvin's Institutes, the Institutes of Christian Religion, uh, this is book one, chapter 14, section 16, and uh, Calvin's just talked about what the Bible says about uh, demons, Satan and demons and their fall. And at the end of that section, he says this, And what concern is it to us to know anything more about devils or to know it for another purpose? Some persons grumble that Scripture does not in numerous passages set forth systematically and clearly that fall of the devils, its cause, ma manner, time, and character. But because of this has nothing but because this has nothing to do with us, it is it was better not to say anything, or at least to touch upon it lightly, because it did not befit the Holy Spirit to feed our curiosity with empty histories to no effect. And we see that the Lord's purpose was to teach nothing in his sacred oracles except what we should learn to our edification. Therefore, lest we ourselves linger over superfluous matters, let us be content with this brief summary 
of the nature of devils. John Calvin is institute. So there is uh, frustratingly little in the scriptures about Satan's fall. Um, as Calvin puts it, the, um, the cause, manner, time, and character of Satan's fall. And uh, I think Calvin's wise in saying that the Holy Spirit has decided not to give us any more details about the fall of Satan. Um, and although that may be frustrating to some, where, you know, how exactly did Satan fall and where and when and how, how was it done, it's not really described. The scripture doesn't describe, and therefore I conclude with Calvin that the Holy Spirit didn't intend us to know anymore uh, about the time, manner, cause, and character of Satan's fall. Okay, so as, with that as background, let's take a look at Satan's interaction with Eve. So that's who this uh, serpent is. Uh, frustratingly little that we, we get to know about him. Uh, but then we get to Genesis 3, 1 to 5, and we get this interaction between the serpent, who is Satan, and Eve. And so notice, first of all, that Satan attacks Eve first rather than Adam. Adam was the one who heard the command directly from God. Uh, so that, that interaction about uh, God planted the garden, he put the man in the garden to tend uh, the garden, and he gave the command to Adam about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then he made Eve. So that was the sequence of events. Um, and so Satan attacks Eve first. Satan's strategy is the same as he always uses. He's a liar and the father of lies, John chapter 8. But he comes disguised as one who brings the truth, disguised as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11. Notice that he immediately questions God's word. And so this is Satan's pattern. This is what he does. He questions God's word. Indeed has God said. Did God really say? And then he questions and he raises a question in Eve's mind about what God said. And so this is a pattern. Did God really say? Um, indeed, has God said? Did God really say that he made the whole world in six days? Did he really say that? Uh, did God really say that, that Jesus is the only way to salvation? Now, come on. Did he, did he really say that? Um, this is the kind of pattern of questioning of God's word that Satan always uses, has always used, will always use, questioning God's word, trying to sow seeds of doubt about what God said. Uh, also notice in these early passages, uh, these early verses of chapter 3, that he twists it to the negative. Uh, so God had given this positive about you can eat from all the trees, and when Satan asks Eve the question, he says, has God really said, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? So he focuses on the negative. And then, of course, he makes an outright contradiction. Uh, he directly contradicts his God eventually. You surely will not die. So notice God said, from the tree of the garden you may eat freely. That's what God said in Genesis 2 to Adam. Satan asks, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden in Genesis 3.1 when he's talking to Eve. So, Satan's strategy was to portray God as narrow, strict, uncharitable, too restrictive. Um, does this sound familiar? This is what, this is what Satan does. Um, it, it's no different today than it was all those thousands of years ago, 6,000 years ago in the garden. Um, and so he paints it as if God wanted to limit human freedom, and deprive Adam and Eve of some enjoyment and pleasure that they really deserve, they really should have, but God uh, is this, this uh, narrow and restrictive God who's, who's telling you you can't have something that you should really have. So Satan, of course, this by implication, uh, would imply that God, that evil and untruthfulness are part of God's character. And so he's attacking God's character by implication. So he's, at, the, at first at least, he's hinting to Eve that God might be cruel and uncaring. So he slyly insinuates that he's more devoted to Eve's well-being than God is. 
So here's God on one side, and he's trying to deny you these things, but I'm trying to open your mind, and, and, and I really have your best interest at, my, in, in, at heart. Not God, but me. I'm trying to tell you how things can be better than, than if you follow God's way. So he implies that he is for freedom while God is restrictive. And so the enemies of God tell this same story in 2022 America. Um, that, that God's ways are restrictive and, and, and if, you, if you throw over God's ways you can have freedom. We get the same thing today as we got all those years ago. So the fact that God gave Adam and Eve everything else to eat is set aside as negligible. Uh, that's not the focus. Satan says he fo- focuses on the restriction. And so he casts suspicion on God's goodness. That's his, his goal here, is to cast suspicion on God's, first on what, what did God say, and second on God's character and his goodness. So, um, he first subtly portrays God as narrow, strict, and uncharitable, and then eventually he gets around to openly slandering God's character and truthfulness. So, um, God has said that if they eat of the fruit, they'll die, and Satan says, no, that's not true. God's told you a lie, that you won't die, Satan says. And so, Satan's lie is the same today, as as I said. Uh, he, he's, tell, he's selling the same lie. Uh, for 6,000 years he's been selling it, he's still selling it, and the reason he's doing it is because it still sells. That same lie still sells. Just like it's sold in the garden, it still sells today. Uh, you can be free, do whatever you want, it's your life. There are no divine laws, no absolute authority, and above all, no judgment. You will not surely die. That's the real bottom line is this, this, that there will be no judgment. You will not surely die. That's what Satan gets around to. He gets around to the fact that there won't be a judgment. God has said that there will be a judgment. If you eat this fruit, then you will die, a judgment. Um, and Satan's saying, no, 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 no judgment. There, there won't be a judgment. There's not going to be a reckoning. You won't be held accountable. And so that's the lie that Satan sells. That's the, the popular culture in 21st century America is that there's no authority but you, and therefore there's no judge but you, and so you will not surely die. Um, that's the lie Satan sold Eve. That's the lie Satan has been selling humanity for 6,000 years. That's the lie that Satan sells to you and I and to everybody we know in 21st century America. You will not surely die. There's no... Uh, there's no judgment, no authority, uh, no accountability. So, uh, what about this fact that Eve gets tempted here in the garden? Um, so, he's, so Eve is tempted by Satan, uh, but God's in charge. He's got authority. So, how, how is it that we can have this sovereign God and Eve ends up getting tempted? Um, so, James explains this, James chapter 1 Uh, verses 13 to 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so we see that process here in Eve. She's, she's She's on the way. Because uh, she's listening to Satan, and she's interacting with Satan in such a way where she doesn't just shut him down. Um, she's allowing this lie to creep in. Um, and she's being tempted, as we'll see, especially next week, by her own desire. Um, and so that's been the pattern of temptation, all the way from Eve, all the way to today. It's the same pattern. Um, and so we'll talk more next time, especially about what happens, what the, uh, the aftermath of this temptation of Eve is. But, as James chapter 1 tells us, there is no fault in the Lord for this temptation. Um, and Eve doesn't try to blame God, although Adam does kind of try to blame God for, for, his, uh, for his sin. Um, 
Eve says she was deceived by the serpent. Adam says, the woman you gave me, that's, uh, that's why I sinned. Uh, but James makes it clear. Where, where does the temptation come from? Uh, that, that, that each one of us is tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. That's where it comes from. And we'll, we'll talk about what Eve's desires are next week. Um, the, 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 three, the three elements of uh, sinful desire um, that are all present there uh, for Eve in, in this event. Um, so, Eve was unaware of Satan's strategy. So, she had never met this uh, talking serpent before, this Satan before, um, and she replies kind of naively. Uh, she defends God, but not really. Um, she says, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. That's in Genesis 3.2. Uh, so she evidently didn't know that this was God's supernatural foe. Scripture later on, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, tells us that Eve was deceived. So she was fooled by this serpent. She didn't know who he was. She hadn't been aware of his uh, strategies, and she was, uh, she was deceived. Satan beguiled her by taking advantage of her innocence. So this is Satan's role in the whole thing. Uh, the question that we got before, what is Satan's role? So Satan came in, he, he attacks Eve, he plays on her innocence and beguiles her and fools her, deceives her. That's what the scripture says. But even though she did not know her enemy, Eve should have been able to thwart this attack. Why? She had the advantage of knowing God. She knew God. Yes, go ahead. Well, um, I'm not sure I would go that far as, as that's what this is teaching. But the, what it seems to be saying there in 1 Timothy 2 is that, that Eve was deceived, but it doesn't say that Adam was deceived. So that Adam knew what he was doing. Um, and, of course, the, the Scripture always imputes the the fault for original sin to Adam and not to Eve. Uh, it's Adam's sin. We see that over and over again in the New Testament when Paul's talking about original sin in Romans and 1 Corinthians, that it's always Adam's fault. It's always that the, we're falling in Adam, not in Eve, even though she was the one that was deceived, the first one that ate the fruit. Um, and then in 1 Timothy it says that it makes a distinction there, that Eve was deceived... It doesn't say Adam was deceived. That's interesting. We'll talk about that a little bit more next time. But um, but this implication that, that women in general are more easily deceived, I'm not sure that, that I would draw that from the passage. Uh, I think what it's talking about is the specific situation of Adam and Eve, that you had Adam, who was given this command directly by God, and Eve, who was not there when God gave that command. She hadn't been created yet. And that, therefore, it was, it was easier for Satan, or Satan perceived it as easier, to deceive Eve than it was Adam in that particular situation in the garden. Um, I would not draw from that entire um, teaching of Scripture that every woman since then has been easier to deceive than every man since then. I, I don't think that's so. And I don't think that's what the Scripture is teaching. So that's a good question. And the scriptures does not implicitly say that, although um, we, it does seem like he's there when we get to the point where she gave, um, let me see exactly what it says. Uh, when, she gives the, when, Ad, when Eve gives the fruit to Adam, there's no indication that she's got to go find him to give him the fruit. It seems like, it seems like he's right there, she eats and he, she, gives it, she gives it to him. There's nothing in the scriptures that would indicate that she... Now, that's an argument from silence, and so you've got to be a little bit careful about arguments from silence that it doesn't say. But, but it, it sort of seems like you know, she doesn't have to go tra trace him down, that he's there. Uh, I think that's a, uh, that's a reasonable inference from the description of events, that he was, he was close by. Why didn't he speak up? That's an excellent question. Why didn't Adam speak up? I think that goes, I think that goes both ways. Why, why didn't he speak up? And why didn't she ask? Right, I agree. So, I agree 100%. so uh, Eve could have. So think about Eve. She's in this situation. She could have directly asked God for help. She yeah. could have turned and said, "God, what do I do here? You know, this this other this. I've never met this uh, talking serpent before. He said this other things. What, what, what God? What do you say?" 
Uh, she could have done that, or she could have turned to Adam and said, hey, Adam, this uh, serpent is saying something different than what you told me that God said. Um, and, and also, if Adam was there, he could have stepped in and said, no, wait a minute, that's not what God said. So, yes, we have, uh, I think, multiple opportunities to have thwarted this disaster by Eve asking Adam, Eve asking God, Adam intervening and saying, no, no, that's not right. Um, most likely, yes, there's all kinds of opportunities they had. So they were, in fact, quite guilty. Uh, I think that's the, <laughs> that's the bottom line takeaway is that, yes, they had the resources to be able to resist this temptation. Um, but they didn't. They didn't avail themselves of the resources uh, to resist this temptation. Um, yes. Uh, I, saw, I saw another hand in the back. So at least by the time she was actually eating, it, the scripture says, husband, who was with her? Uh, yeah, so that's good. Um, yeah, so probably there, Adam could have intervened, did not intervene. Eve could have turned to Adam and asked, could have turned to God and asked. Yes, there is a lot for us to learn there. Um, so yeah, guilty, guilty, guilty. And but but the Bible is really clear that the one who is guilty of original sin and passing on sin to all of mankind is Adam, yeah. not Eve. Adam is the guilty one in terms of uh, the the sin nature that's in every human being uh, since Adam and Eve. Okay, uh, so let's analyze Eve's response. Uh, Let's take a close look at what she actually says. So God had said, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, in Genesis 2.16. Eve says to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat. Now, there's some subtleties there. Eve leaves out the positive superlatives, any and freely. They're both modifications of the Hebrew word kol, a superlative. So it's in the Hebrew. It's not just a a function of the English translation. She left out the Hebrew superlative words that God had said, any and freely. So she says it in such a way that it minimizes God's gracious and abundant provision. It's it's actually, it's clear from the Hebrew. She leaves out those uh, superlatives, um, any tree and eat freely. So she says... Um, so you can see it from the Hebrew God says from any tree uh, from the the English from any tree of the garden you may eat freely and Eve's statement is from the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat you see how flat that is it's different from the abundant provision that God had talked about Um, it's just it's flatter it's it's um, it, it doesn't have the the oomph and the and the marvelous, abundant graciousness of God in it. And she's left out two very specific Hebrew words when she talked about what God had done. Um, And then notice she adds to God's prohibition, uh, God had said, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Um, And what Eve says is, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it. Um, And so um, Eve... Notice that she claims to be quoting God. In the Hebrew, she said, it says, God has said, Elohim has said that you should not eat it or touch it. So she's saying that she's quoting God, but she's quoted something that's a little bit different, uh, that she's added this prohibition not to touch it. Um, now, it, it's, uh, I don't want to go too far, like, uh, you know, that, that maybe Adam added that, or, or who knows uh, why she's, she said it. But... The, the bottom line is that she has made what God said a little bit harsher. Um, God didn't say don't touch it. Um, and she claims to be quoting, but it's not really quoting what God had said in uh, Genesis 2.16. Um, so it seems, at least, that she's adding to the restriction, adding to the harshness. So she's subtracting from the graciousness of the provision and adding to the harshness of the restriction. So her mind is starting to view God's provision as less and his restrictions as more as she has this conversation with Satan. 
And so at this point, Satan knows that he's got her. Um, and he pushes in for total victory. Uh, immediately he suggests that he knows more than God. Uh, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. So he directly contradicts what God said. But up to this point, he's, he's implied, he's, asked to, he's only asked a question. Indeed, has God said. Uh, but now he goes in for the kill and he, and he directly contradicts God. You surely will not die. So he openly slanders God's goodness and his truthfulness. And then he applies a base motive to this untruthfulness. So first he says, God lied to you, that you and you won't die. And this is the reason why he's lying to you. This is God's bad motive for lying to you. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So that's the bad motive and the reason why God's lying to you. Uh, he, Satan says to Eve. So at this point, Eve is faced with a clear choice. So she's, she knows what God has said, she hears what Satan says, and she has a choice. So he, he starts out with, well, did God indeed say? And then he gets back from Eve what... Uh, what he did say, yeah, you will know good and evil. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, there is no indication one way or the other whether there was time passed or time didn't pass. Uh, so we can't make an absolute judgment one way or the other because it doesn't say. But... It does say, we'll see, that she saw that the fruit was good for food. And so that implies that she's looking at it, at, at least at that point. Yeah, so it doesn't say, so the scripture doesn't say, um, so I, I don't. It, so since it doesn't say, we can't say for sure um, one way or the other. Uh, but it, um, it, it doesn't, um, there's nothing in there that implies that a bunch of time went by. Um, so yeah. So either way, it's kind of an argument from silence that we don't, we just don't know uh, how long it was. But um, there's no break in the narrative between the conversation that happens and then the eating of the fruit. There's there's no there's no indication from the Hebrew or the English in the narrative that uh, that there was a bunch of time that passed between the conversation and the eating of the fruit. So um, we'll see. We'll talk more about what happens next uh, next week because we're gonna we're gonna stop at verse five today uh, with the tempting and how the tempting is gone and we're gonna get into uh, what they did next and what the consequences of what they did uh, yeah so she has a choice uh, she's been given this information uh, by Satan she's got information from God she's got a choice who's she gonna believe is she gonna believe God or is she gonna believe Satan and of course that's the same choice that confronts everybody from uh, the rest of humanity. Uh, now, we'll talk about the fact that it's the choice is a little bit different for Adam and Eve than it is for us. Um, but, yes, that's the same choice. Um, so, who's telling the truth? Is God telling the truth or is Satan telling the truth? Uh, because God said you will surely die. Satan has said you will surely not die. Those are absolute diametric opposites. Uh, so, who, who, who's she going to believe? Who's telling the truth, God or Satan? Um, so, uh, and, and of course the underlying, um, uh, tension and the underlying, um, implications that Satan has made is, uh, is, does God want to place undue restrictions on you? Does he want to cramp your freedom and minimize your joy? Is God's way this, uh, this way of, um, uh, that's, that's restricted and joyless, uh, and, and less free. And there's another way that Satan's showing that's, uh, that's, free and, and brings greater joy. Uh, so if God is like that, the way that Satan implies, then of course that would mean he didn't really love you and he's not to be trusted. That's what Satan's really selling to Eve. Uh, and of course that lie is the same one. We've mentioned, I've mentioned this a bunch of times, but that's the same lie today, uh, that God's authority is often portrayed as too restrictive and destructive of human freedom and therefore detrimental to our well-being. So God's way is not the best way. Um, that's the lie being sold to Eve. That's the lie being sold to uh, every human being that's uh, walked the earth since then. Uh, but as we will see next time, uh, deviating from God's good and perfect ways always has dreadful consequences. And we'll see those dreadful consequences next week. Uh, so what we learned today, we did an overview of Genesis 3. Uh, we talked a little bit about the fall of Satan and what we know and what we don't know about the fall of Satan. 
and we talked through the tempting of Eve. How exactly did Satan do that, and how did Eve fall into this trap? Um, and we're going to see next week what the consequences are, what comes out of this tempting of Eve. Okay, any questions? We have uh, seven minutes to ask questions. So um, we'll talk about uh, that quite a bit next time, but um, just to, uh, let me see if I can go all the way back to the beginning here. Um, it, well, well, we'll take a look at what the scripture has to say about that. Um, why, why did Eve make the decision that she did? What was her rationale? Um, and the Bible tells us what her rationale is. Um, the, um, the, the Bible says that uh, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and ate. So we're, we're told three, three reasons. Um, that uh, the fruit was a delight to the eyes, uh, the lust of the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make, uh, the, and the tree was, let's see, good for food, um, uh, the lust of the flesh, good uh, delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, desirable to make one wise, the, the pride of life. Yeah, that's First John. Yeah, so First John explains the three, uh, the three seeds of sin and in, in the human desire, and all three of those are present here for Eve in the garden. We'll talk about that next week. Um, the fact that it's the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life um, that leads Eve to uh, fall for the temptation and to sin. And those three things are what causes everyone to fall to the temptation of sin today. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Um, so yes, we'll, that that'll be a, one of the topics that we'll talk about next week. Yeah. He has a uh, example of Eve falling for those three things: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We have Jesus in group four being tempted by the same three things, yep. and he shows us how not to fall. Yep. And then, in, as you say in First John. We are warned that we are going to be tempted by the same three things. Right. Yes, and so the scripture says that in every way that we're tempted, Christ was tempted. And we get the, um, the example of that in Luke chapter 4, where he's tempted in the same three ways. Um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus is tempted in those ways. He overcomes the temptation how? By God's word. Uh, he quotes God's word. He quotes... Uh, um, passages of scripture to Satan. Now Satan of course actually uses passages of scripture in the temptation um, notice. Uh, but he uses them incorrectly. He takes them out of context and uh, and Jesus answers with scripture in context and shoots down the temptation by um, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. That's how he slays the temptation. Um, and so what, what could Eve have used to slay this temptation? She could have used the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. She could have used God's words. God had told her not to eat that fruit. And so when Satan tempts her and she has this temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that what, is, what should she have turned to? She should have turned to the word of God. That's what Christ did. That's the example he set to to turn to the word of God, to slay these temptations, and she didn't. And Adam didn't. They didn't turn to, they had God's word. Very simple, don't eat that fruit. Very, very, very simple, not complicated, don't need a degree in Hebrew and uh, you know a, a doctor of divinity to be able to, to parse those words, don't eat the fruit. I mean, <laughs> it was really simple. Um, they had God's word, don't eat the fruit, um, or you will die. Um, and they didn't use God's word to slay those temptations. So yes, that's good, and that'll be a major part of our discussion next week. Yeah. <clears throat> so we will be talking about that next week as well, um, about the imputation of sin from Adam's sin. So we got a little taste of it from Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, but the, the biblical doctrine is that in Adam we all sinned, and so... Um, We'll we'll talk we'll talk about um, 
I'll probably, we'll probably talk about the example of Melchizedek and Abraham. Uh, so this is one of the places in the scripture where, um, so if you remember the battle of the, the five kings against the four kings, you, you have uh, Abraham and his servants go chase down the, uh, the four kings that beat the five kings, and Abraham gives a tenth, the plunder, to Melchizedek, the priest of Salem. And then the New Testament goes back and explains that the, the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than the priesthood of Aaron because um, that um, Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek and the priests, the Aaron, Aaronic priests, were all in the loins of Abraham at the time when he gave the tenth. And therefore they gave the tenth too. Um, so that's a biblical description of this, uh, this idea that that everybody was in the, that everybody that was descended from Abraham was in the loins of Abraham when he gave the tenth. Well, every single one of us was in the loins of Adam when he sinned. Um, so that's that's one of the passages of scriptures that we'll probably talk about next week. Yeah, it's the same dynamic. That's a good point. So when we say that uh, God created marriage and marriage is between one man and one woman. And the culture comes back and says, well, that's too restrictive and that's, that's hateful that you're not supporting this other kinds of gay marriage and whatever else. And um, that, yes, it's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same thing as Satan was doing there in the garden, is saying that God's way is not the best way. He's restricting you, he's restricting your freedom. And in fact, that that is um, not only untruthful, but it's. Um, uh, but it's kind of an, an evil imposition on you that God hasn't let you eat this fruit or that God won't let you, you know, marry a, a farm animal. Um, that, that that's a, a, an unhealthy restriction on your freedom and therefore hateful. Not loving, but, but hateful. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what Satan was selling to Eve in the garden, and it's the same thing that Satan is selling to our culture in many, many different areas, like the issue of marriage. What, what's marriage? Is God's created the the way God created marriage is is for our good for our benefit it's the the best way and the satan has sold the culture that no 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 that's not that's not right that's too restrictive just like not eating the fruit in the garden was too restrictive uh we've run out of time uh so let me uh, let me close this in prayer